Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I'm so curious because you've been texting me all day, oh, I need a nap, oh, I've only gotten two hours (laughs) of sleep, so I feel like this must be a Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year party award show hangover, and I'm just dying to get the details. I know you rolled up in that uh, really fresh Lamborghini. I'm sure you had an incredible time just owning Los Angeles. So how'd it go, (laughs) man? How'd the award show go? Yeah, man, G14 life. Um, I did have a little bit of a tight turnaround getting back here to the East Coast. Uh, I was only in LA for about 36 hours, and so it was all together, just a little hectic. We're going to be a little all over the place tonight. The award show was great. I mean, it's funny being there. It's a little more awkward in person. There's like, I'm sure on TV, everything runs smoothly, but there's more stopping and starting uh, in the room at the Beverly Hilton in this big ballroom where they had the awards. Um, the appetizers were great. I liked John Cena a lot more than I expected to. And, um, Aaron Donald is ridiculous. I don't, I don't have that many takes. The Warriors sent Joe Lacob and Peter Gruber, uh, or is it Peter Goober? Anyways, they sent their owners. There were no Warriors players there, so that was a little bit of a letdown. But all in all, I would give the award show like an 8 out of 10. What, you were, ho- you were hoping for like Sean Livingston or something? I mean, what were you, what were you expecting? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's in season. It's kind of tough to get them down to L.A. They had a game the next day. So I, w- I didn't go in with very high hopes. I knew that they weren't going to be there. But it was great to get out there and see coworkers for a night. And I mean, that's basically what it was. It was like a Christmas party for me. No, it looked awesome. I mean, thanks for the invite, obviously. Um, <laughs> must have got Look, lost man, in the mail. I understand. You left. You made your bed. You got to sleep in it. Yeah, I understand. Um, I was wondering, I saw some video clips. There was a rapper there. And I think, I don't know who it was, but he. I think it was rapping about winning, wasn't it? Something along yes. those lines. <laughs> it's one of those like pregame songs that's always playing in the NBA arenas. I, correct me if I'm wrong. The crowd didn't really seem into it. I don't know if this was a demographic issue or what, but I didn't even really see any head nods or, or people pounding tables. It just seemed like a it very <laughs> lifeless response to a very pump-up type song. Yeah, it was one of those situations. Every now and then you'll see a musical act perform for a room that just doesn't fit whatsoever and you end up feeling bad for the people that are on stage i've seen this happen with kendrick lamar a couple times where like it just like the the audience doesn't really get it totally um yeah i've seen it happen with childish gambino once it's 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 like playing jock jabs at a cemetery right exactly so i felt bad for j-rock up there although he was probably getting paid like 150 grand for one song so i'm sure he's doing just fine but um it's all part of the experience you know what i mean no that it looked great i'm sure it's gonna set some ratings <laughs> records tonight uh when, it, when it's airing but you know we had to put open floor first didn't we we had to tape this episode take all these great questions from the listeners at openfloormail at gmail.com and sacrifice for the good of the pod and, and we're missing the live broadcast i've got a dvr though yeah well here we are and um Like I said, I'm running low on sleep here. Normally, I'm pretty good about trying to give these episodes some shape. No no excuses. We're throwing it against (laughs) the wall. You don't have to wind up and and lay it out. We're just going to throw some random questions together. There's going to be no order. It's not like we have that much order anyways. It's going to be a potpourri or a lasagna or whatever whatever metaphor you want to make. 
And I think we should just dive <laughs> right <Sonya>. into it. <laughs> okay. Well, before we get to the questions, can I play you one thing that I saw before we went on the air here? Um, someone asked LeBron James how he felt about Contavious Caldwell Pope being mentioned in trade talks. And here is what he said. Have you heard this clip yet? No, I haven't. I was on a plane all day, so this will be great. Live reaction. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. It's a business. If you get traded, that don't mean your paycheck stops. So it doesn't matter. You're still going to be in the NBA. Just continue to get better and better. If you get traded, it's part of the business. You know, it's, it happens. I mean, it sucks. That's for sure. You know, but, um, but it happens. And so um, just, just go about it. You know, I mean, my good friend Kyle Culver just got traded in his 16 years. You know, so, you know, you think it's hard for a younger guy. I think it's harder for an older guy to do it. Or guy with family and kids, things of that nature, been in the same city for years, and then you get traded. I think it's harder for those guys than it is for the younger guys. How amazing is that? Look, you don't you don't get to show up to work anymore. You, you know, we're gonna take away your badge, but you can file for unemployment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there's gonna be state-sponsored benefits available You'll still to you. Collect your check, okay? It's not the end of the world. I just I couldn't believe that. You know, like if if you had told me that someone asked him about that, I would have said, like, LeBron probably sits there and say, well, like, you never know what can happen. Like, he's helping us now. We'll see where we are by the end of the year. Crazy things can happen in this league. But LeBron is just like, it's a business. It is what it is. No, Andrew, he's still going to get paid. This is why GMs put together very carefully worded press releases, because if they did have to describe like some of these trades where it's like you're trading like two second round picks or some random guy who you're immediately going to waive, their official response would be like, yeah, whatever. We did it because we had to get the boss <laughs> of our back, right? Like It would be very disrespectful. A lot of these trades, they don't really warrant the like very carefully composed, you know, like PR speak. Um, LeBron's keeping it real. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's just getting a little angsty that the Ariza deal is not done yet. Maybe he's just sort yeah. of trying to, you know, prepare KCP for, you know, what could be coming next. I don't know exactly, but uh, very interesting take from LeBron. I really respect it, especially the part at the end where he's like, Corver's like 36 years old and he's got kids. Like, that's the guy I feel sorry for. KCP's 25 and he's making like $15 million a year. And the... The biggest reason I respect it is because Contavious Caldwell Pope has cashed out two years in a row now, thanks to LeBron, because the Lakers already kind of did Rich Paul a solid last year, giving KCP that balloon payment, and oh, then they no ran doubt. it back a, another year. Like, nobody should feel sorry for KCP, no. and I, I appreciate LeBron not even going through the motions. When LeBron says, you know, the paycheck's still cash, it's the paychecks that I got you still <laughs> yeah. cash, right? We're still paying you. I should be you. getting a percentage, and he probably is. I don't I don't know how that arrangement yeah. works. He's also um, bringing up Kyle Korver because it's like, well, look, I feel bad for Kyle Korver getting traded because at least he makes shots. Like, at least he made. At least he got me some assists when I fed him last year at Cleveland. I mean, isn't that the underlying tension too? Lots of subtext there uh, from yeah. LeBron James. You know what I've been toying with the idea that perhaps Trevor Ariza is thirty percent worse than the internet thinks he is, and Contavious Caldwell Pope could be twenty to thirty percent more helpful than the internet expects him to be. 
uh, are you just trying to be as different as possible? This, this no. feels like a very classic, <laughs> like I'm running against the grain, trying that's, to be that's different. That's why I said I'm toying with it. I don't know if I believe it, but I, the thought has has crossed my mind that I, I don't know if Contavious Caldwell-Pope is quite as useless as uh, Twitter and, and, and like the basketball intelligentsia assumes. Um, but, you know. This he sounds is kind like of a tough watch sometimes. Too, this so. this sounds like the kind of thing that the vice president of the Josh Hart fan club would say after, like <laughs> you know, just to make KCP feel better. It's like okay, like Hart's basically stealing your job. We got to deal you, and you're only a contract, not a player anymore. But look, maybe you're better than the haters think. Is is that what you're trying to do? Yeah, perhaps. Speaking of Josh Hart, by the way, I'm in a buoyant mood tonight because let me tell you something, Ben. For the last couple weeks, I have been putting together, I've been overhauling my fantasy basketball team, and um, I'm still one move away. I'm not ready to publicly unveil the finished product, but long story short, Team Sharp hit rock bottom uh, right around Thanksgiving, and since then, I have been hitting the trade market hard, and uh, it's, it's very exciting. What a fantastic tease. Boy, we're all riveted. I mean, we, we, we're sitting over here. And when you started that off, you said you were in a buoyant mood. I thought you said you were in a boiling mood, which I thought maybe that meant you'd been like running wind sprints back and forth across your living room and doing push-ups and suicides. No, no, no. That's the, that's the best part. I'm taking things in the complete opposite direction. Team Sharp has never been more free-spirited than it is right now, uh, but... I don't know. At some point, I'll, I'll take you through the entire roster, but not tonight. Um, for now, let's dive in to um, some people who are not in a buoyant mood. Blazers fans, Aaron says, okay, guys, I'm here soliciting some generic scorn for the Portland Trailblazers. Let us have it. And then Senator Batman, our, our favorite Blazers fan. Actually, we have a lot of favorite Blazers fans. But um, he says, what could the Blazers possibly do to improve? Forget competing with the Warriors, I guess. But something, I don't know. Trading CJ almost certainly would only move them backwards. Is there a trade you could build around Zach Collins and some picks? Maybe throw in Evan Turner to make the money work? Would that help? Something? Anything? Or does Olshay's 2016 spending spree mean this is it? What do you think, Ben? I mean, we can't. What I well, love first about of all, you... we can't do this again. Okay, we've been trying to fix the Blazers for three years. They're broken. <laughs> we know that's they're broken. my thought. No question. And this is not going to be scorn. This is going to be genuine concern. Okay, and I know there's like this whole topic on the internet concern trolling, and I think that sometimes when you do try to like, uh, you know, just uh, voice legitimate concerns people just say oh you're not being genuine with it this is some genuine concern i just want to say that up front okay here's my concern for decades since he owned the team paul allen was the guy who was constantly emailing his gms constantly calling them up constantly being the the pressure that they felt to make the team better right especially uh, you know, in the early 2000s or even, you know, in that 2007 and eight range when they were really starting to build up, this was a guy who was like really committed to spending, to being aggressive, to trying to wheel and deal during the draft, to try to make the team as good as possible, right? My mm-hmm. concern with his passing is that there's no one there 
in that role anymore, right? So if you just take the boss away and you've got a guy, Neil O'Shea, who has already been spinning his wheels for years, hasn't been able to, to retool this roster, has backed himself into a corner, what is his motivation to like go out and you know swing for the fences and really shake things up if he doesn't have anyone to report to? I mean, right now the franchise is basically being run by Paul Allen's sister. It's an open secret, not even a secret, that she doesn't she care. She doesn't care about the NBA, and eventually she's going to be selling the franchise, right? So yeah. I think also remember last year there was the report from our buddy Chris Haynes of like, oh, Damian Lillard. I was say, yeah, da- they had a sit down, fireside chat. Right. Do you think Damian Lillard sitting down with Jody Allen? Like, what are they talking about? Like, they're not talking about how to take the Blazers to the next level and beat the Warriors in the playoffs. Uh, I can promise you that. So it's a legitimate concern. And, and you had a great column this week. You know, it, it pains me to to slap you on the back without any, you know, undercutting or anything else. But you had a great <laughs> column about the importance of ownership, right? And how yeah. Phoenix and Chicago, you know, basically like those teams are just spinning and going nowhere because it starts at the top. Portland, for everything else that it had, had a very committed ownership group. Look, small market, couldn't compete for free agents, but the one thing they had was an owner who was always trying to put a winning product on the court. Right now, they don't have that. All they have is question marks, and given that the front office probably should have been replaced a couple years ago and wasn't, given that Terry Stotts has sort of flirted with the hot seat you know, at various points over these last couple of years— to me, the whole organization is just kind of in limbo. And so when we're yeah. getting these questions from guys like Aaron and Senator Batman are saying, like, how can the Blazers go to the next step? That takes vision. That takes a real passion. That takes a willingness to spend. And I think the Blazers right now are 0 for 3 on those things. Yeah. And I don't know. I think it goes beyond just a willingness to spend. I think it's a willingness to kind of think outside the box that probably isn't there right now I hadn't thought about the Paul Allen side of this and man that just made things like 200% darker uh, because this is it's already kind of bleak when you think about the the Blazers and, and like the clear ceiling that's already there and they're really struggling right now I'll look it up they've lost I think like eight of the last 14 or something. I looked at their schedule earlier today. I was like, whoa, <laughs> they have really had a, a tough three-week stretch here. Um, but what are you seeing on the court specifically? Because the, what I love about you is you never totally betray your roots, your your case for Kevin Roots. You always have a, an eye on the Blazers. And I haven't seen as much of this team, so I can't really comment. I will say that like in the handful of Blazers games that I've watched this year, I am I'm kind of taken aback by how few like legitimately good players they have outside of CJ and and Lillard. I mean Nurkic has decent nights and I like what they did with the bench this offseason, but like none of those guys really move the needle and um and I think that's part of the problem. It's similar to what's happening with the Rockets where there's just like not much outside the top guys. Yeah, it's been the same story for three years. I mean, if you read all the local media, it's just Groundhog Day. Oh, it's just like last season, we're letting some like winnable games go down the stretch. Oh, we didn't bring enough effort, or uh, it was too dependent on on Damian and CJ. I mean, their formula uh, has been the same for three or four years. The major personalities have been the same. I mean, you, I guess you could say Evan Turner's played a little bit better this year than he had in years past. That's not saying very much. I mean, he was terrible his first year there. Uh, yeah. And I think if you're Terry Stotts, you have made 
every glass of lemonade out of these lemons that you can possibly make. Like this guy has squeezed those lemons for years and there's no more liquid coming out, right? Like there mm-hmm. there has to be a, a move here to to shake things up. But I agree with Senator Batman. The most obvious move is trading. Uh, I know it sounds funny when you say it that way. but I love the world that we've created for ourselves here. <laughs> no, it, it, the most obvious move is, move is to trade CJ, but you're going to be most likely bringing back less talent uh, than, than you're sending out in that type of a deal, right? Their yeah. secondary assets in terms of Zach Collins and picks, I, I don't see that really um, you know, being something that anyone else is getting excited about. And then you're in this situation where the money part of it does matter. Because mm-hmm. if you're going to try to improve, right, you're taking a risk on a player who maybe has long-term uh, cash committed to them already. And so, like, you know, you're trading off a guy who maybe only has one or two years left on his contract for a guy who has three or four. Well, if you don't have an ownership group that's interested in taking on money or interested in paying huge dollars for an Evan Turner, and let me ask you this, how many owners in the NBA would have handed Evan Turner that contract, right? The replacement level owner is not giving Evan Turner that money in 2016. They're just saying, hey, go find a cheaper option. They're not. And well, we, there, we've were, heard, there were a lot of owners giving out a lot of really questionable deals in 2016. Yeah, but, but we've, I, all, I we've, also, we've also heard the reporting where, like, Turner's calling Andre Iguodala, and Iguodala's like, bro, sign that deal before they take the offer back. Like, just get it done, <laughs> yeah, right? Totally. And it's not like that was a one-time thing for Paul That's Allen. the thing. Paul He's Allen been doing did it for, for 20 25 years. years. Yeah. yeah. Um, exactly. And so I just think that if you're kind of hamstrung where you're not you're not probably wanting to take on a bunch more money because your, your cap has already been clogged for years and you haven't had flexibility, I think they're stuck. You know, I don't really see any way out of it. There will be better times during this season. I think Lillard can play better than he's played recently. He's also yeah. been a guy who has had these little swoons midseason before during his career, and he always works his way out of it. But I've really sensed from the Blazers fan base uh, kind of an ennui, right? Like uh, uh, just sort of checking out on this team, not really being as invested in this group as maybe they thought they would be because the results on the court have been so similar as the last couple of years that there's nothing new and exciting uh, to, to really get you juiced about. And I understand their pain, and I don't have a solution. I mean, we've been saying this for the last two years. There's no quick fix. There's no easy solution here. If there was, they would have already explored it. Uh, and that just tells you how bad Olshay's summer was in 2016. Everything goes back to his spending spree and the guys that he invested all of that money in. Yeah, it's it's funny because that was going to be my, my thought here is that Senator Batman basically answered his own question (laughs) like the 2016 spending spree probably does mean that this is it because it's just this current group is probably never going to recover from that summer and um and it sucks i'm going through a very similar experience in washington albeit with a far lower baseline than the blazers have had over the last couple years um but it's a real bummer And, and you know I'm of two minds with where the Blazers are now, because on the one hand, I I agree with what you're saying, um, where a you're not going to get back equal value if you give up someone like C.J. McCollum or Damian Lillard. Even I mean, you, like you're just it's it's not going to work out that well. Look, I mean, you could try not, to trade Lillard for Ben Simmons and and launch a new era, but I like. That's not going to happen. That's not going to, it's not going to work. The Lillard trade is not going to happen. That's the one thing that really does bug me when I, uh, you know, read other people trying to try to fix the Blazers. They will not do that. Like Lillard will be the untouchable piece until the end of time. 
it will be the other guys that they would look to to move. And I think okay. that's the problem. None of those other guys really have much trade value. I, I understand what you're saying there. Um, and I do think that the Blazers will be able to kind of stabilize things over the next month or two because literally they do this every year where they kind of like go through one or two darker months and they're kind of like teetering on the brink and then Dame will get hot and like I bet in February or March we're going to be like, oh my God, the Bla- look at the Blazers. Like look at that culture up there. It's just there's nothing like it. And so we'll go through the motions again. The, the part I worry about, though, is you talked about Stotts squeezing the last bit of lemonade out of these lemons. And, um, and I think that that sometimes just happens to an entire organization. And uh, you talked about the fans kind of being a little bit more lifeless this year. And um, I, I think we've seen it in Houston. We've seen it in Washington eventually we saw it with the Clippers a couple of years ago. Eventually when you come up short over and over and over again, that starts to take a toll on just on everyone involved in the process. And um, that's the one thing that I worried about the second they lost to the Pelicans last year. And, um, and you know, who knows what will happen this year, but if it does get dark, that will be why. And I think that, and that's, that's what I would worry about if I were a Blazers fan and here's the thing on trading Damian Lillard, okay? I know that Portland is committed to Dame, but he's going to be eligible for a gigantic contract, and he's going to be overpaid, and it's going to be hard to build around him. And that money is going to matter also. And and it's something to consider as you sort of map out the future that, like, I don't know if it's going to make that much sense for either side of that deal to kind of continue this partnership. I, you're getting ahead of yourself. I mean, he's got years left, like before they're going to have to. He's got two years make, left. Yeah, but I they don't have to make that decision now. They don't even have an owner. And I promise well, you, like when he's not I, on the court right now, I think they're like something like minus nine net rating, which tells you that they're just basically ben, being blown no, no. off the court whenever he's <laughs> not out there. I understand that he's, he's really all they've got. <laughs> I understand that, but he if he makes an All NBA team this year, he's going to be super max eligible this summer. And if he doesn't sign it, like. It's gonna get interesting, and 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 if he does sign it, then I don't know if that's necessarily good for the next five years in Portland. Like this is just a tricky situation. He's in his third year of a five-year contract. It's too early to be hand wringing about what that next contract is gonna look. Wait like. a second, you were the one on Monday hand wringing about Giannis if they lo- if Milwaukee loses guys. This is what we do with every superstar. Uh, I think it's a slightly different situation because uh, I don't. I think first of all, Giannis is in a completely different class of players as Damian Lillard, and he is going to be the kind of guy where <laughs> everyone's going to want him. Thirty teams are not going to want Damian Lillard when he becomes a free agent, especially if he's looking at you know super max level money. That's just unrealistic, especially because you know he's you know what three or four years older than Giannis already, and by the time he gets yeah. to free agency, he's going to be you know, more in that sort of like Kemba Walker hitting free agency next summer mold, as opposed to a top five player in the league MVP type guy hitting free agency mold. I also think, uh, you know, they're horrible without Lillard this year. Like he is all they've got and they love this guy. And he's, you know, made all these allusions to wanting to be the greatest blazer of all time. And I think he just really, really likes being the big fish in the small pond up there. And I don't, yeah. I don't see him getting into a situation where it's like, give me every single last penny. I'm gonna like, you know, break you down in these negotiations, or I'm gonna walk. I just think that, 
as long as Olshay is there as the GM, he will do everything to take care of Lillard. That's just how it's been the whole way through. I'm not saying that's the best way to approach it, um, but I also think that this team would be in a really dark place if they did trade him at any point in the near future. I mean, I think he is worth... I mean, he is basically what's separating them from being 14th in the conference and where they are and where they've been here the last few years. Uh, yeah. going, going back a few minutes, you know, you mentioned something, oh, well, he's going to be able to turn it around and like the fan base is going to get reengaged and we're all going to have to sit here and, and talk about, oh, the Blazers are back. I wonder if we've reached the like, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times, okay, spe- so especially after the first I mean, round of the playoffs. Though, yeah. Is once you, once you spot the pattern, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to keep suspending disbelief and it's hard for the players up there also. And <laughs> I didn't intend for any of the Blazers talk to get this dark, but I mean, I think I'm coming from I'm coming at the Lillard discussion from a different perspective. I have firsthand experience with how this ends when you do pay and you do try to kind of like force the square peg into the round hole. And I'm just saying that every now and then it's it's better for everyone involved to move on. And I know I'm not arguing that the Blazers would be better on the court if you take Damian Lillard off that roster and replace him with, like, spare parts that you get in a trade. Uh, What I'm saying, though, is it going to get so dark in this scenario you're painting that you have to trade him two and a half years before his deal is up? No, 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 no. I I think if they they had to trade him, it would be this summer. And and who knows? I'm, I'm just saying it's not inconceivable. Um, yeah, and no, we'll, no offense. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but this feels an awful lot like projection. You know, it's like you're going through a real tough time with your with no, your girlfriend. So you're, you're you're telling some other guy he's got to break up with his girlfriend, no, and it's, it's like, listen, look, John Wall is not Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard's a lot better than John Wall. Um, yeah, okay. I, I, it's not projection. <laughs> I, I think I'm more objective here, but um. But moving on. Wait, no, no, no. How how are you more objective here? Explain that. Uh, well, I mean, you you come from like the Blazers community. I'm just looking. No, at, I, at I'm the just telling you how they saying, care about him. I don't care at all. I mean, I, he's fine, but he's definitely better than John Wall. We can agree on that. He's he's better than John Wall. He's not someone you want to pay thirty five million dollars to for the next five years. Um, and and I think that that may not be best for him, and he may not want that. And in that case, like I, it, you know. It may be in everyone's best interest. I, th- I feel like I've said this three times. So just sort of like sell high and and kind of anticipate things before they get really dark. Um, so, but when are you selling high? I mean, what's what's your this time summer? Like? I think this summer. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, um, and I. By the way, I have loved every year of Damian Lillard in Portland. So it, this isn't like I hope they work it out, but it is. It's. Some of these games are tough where you're just like, man, like that's all they got, huh? Still, after three years of this. Um, but I just think it's easier for him to swallow being stuck because he gets to be the face of everything. He gets to average 27 points a game. He gets to cash the Adidas checks and he, he makes 25 to 30 million. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I think that there's other buttons to push before you do that. And I think basically every other button would have to be like, I think they would fire stocks. I think they would trade CJ. I think that they would like scrap all the young guys, uh, you know, buy everybody else out, try to do get really desperate to refashion around Lillard before they would ever trade Lillard, if that makes sense. Yeah. So here's the thing though. Um, 
I think that would make sense if you're the Pelicans and Lillard is Anthony Davis. Because basically, as soon as the Pelicans give up on Anthony Davis, they may cease to exist. They could be relocated. Like Everything is on the table at that point. I don't think that's true in Portland. And I don't think that Lillard is as good as Anthony Davis. And I think that like if there's an oper- if if the right opportunity presents itself, like Portland could easily kind of rebuild over the next couple years, and, and like the culture up there is very very real. I, and I don't think the Blazers are just going to suddenly become irrelevant. Do you? Uh, no, but they've been through some really tough times, and it took years to build things back up. And like the fan base has been amazing for the last ten years, but like the quote unquote Jailblazer era was no joke in terms of engagement and trying to get people to games. I mean, I remember going there like right out of college. I had an entire section to myself. I mean, it probably looks a lot like the Capital One Center right now. <laughs> um, and the other thing too is like, I I agree with you that Anthony Davis is a lot better to Damian Lillard, but I think Lillard arguably means more to basketball in Portland right now than Davis does in New Orleans. He's won more in the postseason. They've won more playoff series. They've had a longer uh, track record of plus 500 seasons. And he's got a special bond with the community. And New Orleans just doesn't care about basketball. Like, yeah, sure, okay, the franchise leaves. And like in this doomsday scenario, they still have the Saints. The Blazers don't have the Saints. You know, they don't have LSU football. This is what they've got. And so... Uh, you know, I, I'll go all the way back and remember the Clyde Drexler trade. I mean, that was a lot of broken hearts. And you can rationally say it was the right thing to do. It was the right time. It was best for Clyde. Give him the the, the golden parachute down there with the Houston Rockets and, and let him get the titles and all of that. But yeah. people are still hurting over the Clyde Drexler trade. I mean, 20-something yeah. tw- years later. And that whoever is going to pull the trigger on that Lillard trade, it's not going to be Olshay. This has been his guy. Unless Lillard holds a gun to his head and says, get me out of here. I can't deal with this anymore. He's not going to just do it for the sake of doing it. Okay. That makes sense. And you do know the fans and like the psychology of, of that culture much better than I do. I just would say that, um, I think one, one mistake that teams often make is operating from a place of insecurity. And, uh, and, and that has happened in DC. It's happened in new Orleans. It's happened. And, the, the opposite side of that coin would be Boston trading Isaiah Thomas after a career year in Boston. <laughs> it was one of the more inhumane, like shady, I mean, it was awful, but it was the Celtics recognizing that like, look, we are not going to pay Isaiah Thomas $150 million, so let's explore other options. And, um, and or more accurately, we're not going to be able to win a title if we pay Isaiah Thomas what he wants and so we're gonna have to start thinking about other moves and um and i just would say that i i think that that's a possibility in portland as well well i think that you've hit on something that's absolutely true that blazers fan base the blazers front office the whole organization there's absolutely some insecurity there and there should be I mean, yeah, maybe there should be. That, that's C- fair too. CJ McCollum is bringing Kevin Durant onto his podcast, and Katie is just laughing at him. He's like, "What do you mean? You guys think you're <laughs> going to be in the standings? Like, forget about it, right? It's the little brother syndrome." Now they have to look at the Lakers getting LeBron James. You know, do you think the Blazers were ever on LeBron James's radar for one second? No, they, they're never yeah. competing for major free agents. 
Um, and they also understand the pain that's involved in like tanking or, or going that direction, right? I mean, think about some of these number one picks that the franchise has made. You think Sam Bowie and Greg Oden might give you a little insecurity about the idea <laughs> of moving on past Damon but, Lillard? And also, that makes sense. Do you part, know part what of I mean, it is though, the, Part of it's of the like, small market thing, though, too. I mean, yeah, Portland, it is a small market thing. And I would also add that there's a big difference between flipping Lillard for rebuilding assets and what the Celtics did, which is like upgrade from Isaiah to Kyrie, which while heartless is kind of a no brainer. But I mean, the Celtics also trade, they turned over like 80% of a roster that finished with the best record in the East. So like they were pretty aggressive too. Um, but but you, do you know what I'm talking about though, in terms of teams that kind of like try to move heaven and earth to make things work with a superstar and you and everyone on the outside can see that like there's a clear ceiling and it's just not going to end well i do i just want to see them move either heaven or earth because right now i'm just seeing like (laughs) evan turner and cj and you know nurkish and it's the same old same old guys rolling out there with the same lineups getting basically the same performance and like okay you know it's we're calling shabazz napier we're calling him seth curry this year you know what i mean like there's going to be a new one two years from now uh that's that's the problem like they haven't moved heaven and earth yet and i think that's sort of where the frustration is coming from but like i like we've kept we keep saying here they're backed into a corner yeah i think the move that i would like to see as an outsider would be to just get someone else in there i'm not sure how Olshay has kept his job as long as he has, but um, you know who knows. That's way too much talk about the Blazers. Um, let's move on. Look, ben. Don't, bl- don't blame me. You were the one projecting. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> no, I I think it's a really interesting question that a lot of teams have to face, and uh, you know, and particularly as these numbers get bigger, I think teams you're going to see smarter teams kind of. Um, going a different direction like does it does it make sense for the Sixers for instance to like when when Ben Simmons is is eligible for a contract extension does it make sense for them to tie up like 200 million dollars in in Ben Simmons Embiid and Jimmy Butler no I mean I've been pushing that since the day the Butler trade happened Um, I also think that like if Olshay did lose his job uh, I think that the first thing, uh, you know, somebody who was coming in there fresh, if they had no ties to the organization, the first thing that, that they would do that Olshay would never have done is put Lillard on the market and just see what kind of offers he could get. Like what's out there, test his value. And, you know, if something amazing, you know, like a, you know, a knock your socks off offer emerged, then you would do it. Um, yeah. That's pretty common, right? But it takes that that owner or that front office turnover to kind of get those things, uh, get those things rolling, and again, it goes back to the ownership question, right? Like, uh, if that you're is. Jody, you just want to count the checks. Okay, we know we can sell out or get pretty close to selling out if we just have the same formula. Let's just keep this rolling, buy our time. Uh, hopefully, a, a, you know, a, a prospective owner emerges and it's all smooth. And that's the tough part because again, there's no impetus to either fire Olshay, who should have been gone two or three years ago. Uh, or explore the kind of substantive roster changes that you're looking for. Yeah. Well, I got to say, I did not expect there to be that much to talk about with Portland. Um, but yeah, it's it's thornier than I even realized. Um, all right. Moving on. But before we do, Ben, 
Today's show is brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, options, and cryptos. It's all commission-free. They make financial services work for everyone, not just rich people. It's a non-intimidating way to invest for the first time with true confidence. It's simple. It's intuitive. The design is clear. Data is presented in an easy-to-digest way. Ben, tell me more about Robinhood. I think we need to underscore this whole idea of commission-free, Andrew. Do you understand really what that means? When you're wheeling and dealing, buying and selling stocks left and right, like I know you do using the Robinhood app, you know, from the palm of your hand, you're not getting charged for those trades, Andrew. Other brokerages have suckers who are being charged up to $10 for every trade uh, because they just charge commissions to let you go about your business. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right, does it? That's where Robinhood comes in. No commission fees. I also just love the app. So easy to use. Look, we're in a mobile world, Andrew. You and me are both mobile friendly, right? Don't you want your investing and your stock trading to be mobile friendly too? That's what Robinhood brings to the table. Yeah, and not only that, Ben. Robinhood is giving our listeners a free stock like Uh Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. You can go check it out at floor.robinhood.com. That's floor.robinhood.com. Tell them again, Andrew, floor.robinhood.com, floor.robinhood.com for the free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint. That's a pretty baller stocks. Yeah, join the Blue Bubble Gang. And with that, let's get back to it. Waldemar says, Most people view Russell Westbrook's MVP as invalid to some degree, due to what has transpired in the playoffs and what happened the season after he won. My question for you guys is, shouldn't the same logic be applied to James Harden? This is the second time in his career where his teams have plummeted after a season of success. What gives? And Waldemar um, from Denmark, I'm glad you asked this, and uh, I really appreciate it, but I want to say that I'm going to be the bigger person here and not try to discount Harden's success last year and pretend that it was all just a mirage and it was all just hype and we were all getting carried away with stats because that's kind of just a shithead way to look at it. And unfortunately, like 80% of basketball media did that with Russell Westbrook. Um, But I'm not going to do that. So do you have any thoughts, Ben? Well, I'm disappointed in you again, as always. Um, even when you take the high road, you find a way to, to leave me wanting <laughs> to more. To no. 80% of basketball media shitheads? No, because you were really just trying to say that I was. Look, I listened <laughs> to a, a great podcast with Zach Lowe and, uh, and Tim McMahon uh, on the plane today, and I, it actually made me make a mental note to ask you, like, why have you not been digging in on Harden? Uh, because you love to hate this guy. He's one of the guys you love to hate the most, and he's had – you know, for him, like an average at best season and the Rockets have been most, you know, arguably one of the top two or three disappointments in the whole league, right? So I was a little bit surprised. Uh, in terms of Waldemar's question, though, did I miss the part where Westbrook carried the Thunder to the best offense in NBA history and with, within one game uh, of the NBA Finals in his MVP season? Like, I feel like this is a very false comparison here in terms of what they were both able to do. I know guys like you love to pretend that Harden was terrible in the playoffs. He wasn't. And I think that his overall regular season resume, <laughs> not only in terms of wins, but also team offensive efficiency and everything else that goes with it, was a significantly more impressive MVP year than Westbrook's 
uh, all in all. And I just don't see Westbrook's the comparison. MVP year, you just had to be there actually watching him finish the games. I mean, it was that that MVP race was basically a dead heat tied among three or four people. And Westbrook just went out and was outrageous night after night after night. And somehow, like, the smart guy take has become that, like, his MVP is a crime against basketball. And it's just such bullshit. Because literally, watching basketball that year, the experience of watching basketball was waking up every morning and being like, oh my god, did you see what Russell Westbrook did last night? And that's what the MVP should reflect. But... To I you, digress. I mean, you love <laughs> no, thinking no, with no, your no, heart, listen. not your head. It's fine. I get it. No, I mean, I, it's, I it's don't a same like, old argument. I don't even like Westbrook. I just, I chose the the hard right over the easy wrong. It was easier to be the smug guy being like, this isn't winning basketball. No, but nothing's just, easier sorry. than hyping up triple doubles. That was the easiest thing to get excited I, about. I didn't. Oh, I never a triple once. triple double. Wow. Oh, he the, made a game winner over Orlando. He brings it every night. The triple double was immaterial to me. I didn't really care about that. It was the experience of watching him that was special. Um, but as far as Harden... I would talk more trash about what's happening in Houston, except that, I mean, it's similar to what I'm talking about with the Blazers. I'm fascinated by how screwed up NBA salary structures are right now because that team is just so top-heavy that they basically can't fill, uh, they can't field an NBA team past their top three or four guys. I mean, like, you look at the back end of that roster, they've literally been pulling guys out of the G League for three weeks and then cutting them and then trying someone else. It's just, it's a complete mess. And so I can't really pin it on Harden. He's, I mean, he's checked out on defense, but like he's also carrying a ton of uh, burden on offense. You know Chris who Paul we hasn't been the same guy. Yeah. It's tough. You know who we can pin it on? It's Chris Paul. And I feel very similar about Chris Paul right now. This might surprise you. Because um, I've I've defended Chris Paul and hyped him up last year as well. I feel very similar about Chris Paul right now as mm-hmm. I did about Blake Griffin with the Clippers 12 months ago. The best thing that could happen to the Rockets going forward is if they can trade Chris Paul by the deadline. If they can just get his contract out, I mean, in a, in a dream world, you get a player who's as good and productive back as a Tobias Harris has been for the Clippers. But even if you can't, if you can just rejigger that salary structure so that you can kind of go forward with guys like Harden and Capella without, you know, huge luxury tax burden, without the possibility of further Paul slippage, without the possibility yeah. of getting stuck with his contract on your books uh, and having the weight of expectations because you have those two big max players. So you're expected every single night, you know, to be a top two team in the West. And, and every night you don't do that, it becomes this huge, you know, disappointment and, and kind of a, a locker room cloud. I think that's the best thing that they can do. They also have the GM who's like, you know, in that same Danny Ainge, I'll trade Isaiah Thomas mold to do it, right? Like, yeah. would Maury blink twice if he got a reasonable Chris Paul offer? I don't think so, especially if the ownership group is is new and expected to be the number two seed at worst this season. And instead, they're what, like 13th or 14th? Uh, to me, it would be like, you know how the Blake Griffin trade was stunning when it happened but then you thought about it for 10 minutes and it wasn't that surprising at all i kind of feel like the chris a chris paul trade before february would be received the same way okay um i agree with that and and it was really funny with the blake situation where 
it was stunning for about two hours and then like the parameters of the deal became clear and we all kind of thought about it for a little while and it was just like oh my god what a win for the clippers like how do they pull that off and i'm sure a similar process would uh unfold with chris paul except it would probably take like 15 minutes um here's the thing though the reason i'm not willing to to write off the rockets this year is because chris paul is not gonna go quietly and i i think he's going to probably be awesome in the next month or two and um and we'll kind of get back to what he was and the rockets will stabilize they're not going to be the second best team in the west again but they will probably end up like finishing sixth in the west or something like that uh, which is an upgrade over where they've been can i ask you why you have the hope for paul to be able to get back like how much how much percentage wise do you think he can be compared to last year right because i i would say he's at like 60 to 65 percent compared to last year like right now are you seeing him get to 90% or 80%? And what makes you think he's going to be able to do that? Is it just faith well, in who he's been or what? Yeah, I mean, this is just throwing out arbitrary numbers now, but I would guess like 85, 90, 95. And, and it is absolutely faith in what he's been. Like I'm a, I'm a Chris Paul evangelist and always have been and always will be. And he's another guy who takes a lot of shit that is probably unwarranted. Um, and so I just think he's too tough and stubborn and um incredible to kind of like become washed mellow overnight or like rich man's washed mellow um and he'll he'll be fine the the problem with the rockets is that the rest of the team is are is so broken right now that like there's only so much they can do yeah and i think the frankly i think the supporting cast looks worse and looks more broken than it might be if Chris Paul was at 90% of who he was last year. Like, I think he's a big part of the problem. I was looking at his advanced numbers. His turnover rate's the highest of his career. His uh, field goal percentage is the lowest of his career. Yeah. Uh, You look at his player efficiency, it's the lowest it's been in a decade. I mean, this guy has not been the same guy. There's there's really no way around it. He is not getting to his spots the same. He's not orchestrating quite the same on offense. Um, You know... Their other pieces are weak. Like, Maury basically went, like, 0 for 6 this summer. I mean, we all we did was talk about Carmelo, but all those other moves, like, how is Michael Carter-Williams working out for you, right? Like, all those <laughs> other moves have basically just been swings and misses. Well, and I'm not, I'm not trying to beat him up too much. Like, you know, it happens when you are only have so much money available to spend to get guys, you're going to have some, you know, duds. But I really think that the biggest difference between the Rockets this year and the Rockets last year, other than a reason no longer being there is Chris Paul. Yeah. I mean, I think that's too easy and and it's letting the rest of the roster off the hook. Um, You're there's no question that Chris Paul has not been the same guy. Like I talked on Monday about watching Rockets Mavs. Chris Paul was struggling to beat Jalen Brunson, which is just like, you step back and say, Holy shit. Like what, what's happening here? And then he was getting beat on defense, which doesn't happen. But it was happening in that game. And, so how um, is it too easy? If he can't even get past Jalen Brunson and he's not guarding anybody, that seems like it's the Look answer. at the rest of their roster, man. They're playing P.J. Tucker like 43 minutes a game. They're playing Gary Clark, who would would not be on a lot of rosters. I mean, he's he's fine. He's helped well, them. Look, but like, come on. I'm sorry. Chris Paul is making five times more than those guys combined. All right? Like, well, we, that's what we can't I'm put, saying. We can't put any criticism towards the guy who's making $35.7 no. million dollars this season. Here's the thing. That's 
if we go back to how I began this discussion, that's what I'm fascinated by. Chris Paul deserves blame, but some of this is a function of the CBA and and what teams now have to pay guys who have been in the league for eight to ten years and and just the salary structure and the tiers. And um, and so I think the Rockets are uh, victims of bad timing with respect to the bargaining agreement. So that's my thought there. As much as I would love to talk trash and uh, pretend that James Harden's MVP doesn't count. But speaking... Let me, let me, no, real quick question, though. Who should trade for Chris? Well, yeah, actually, I, I meant to ask you that. Do you have anybody off the top of your head? Well, it's tricky because... I don't think his contract is as bad as John Wall's, um, but I don't think it's like meaningfully better. <laughs> like, you know, that's a tough one. Like, I think he's got a solid, I agree with you. He's going to bounce back this season, but I don't think they're going to be a Western conference finals team. I think that's that no. ship has sailed. And right? I would also say that this season has been a preview of, of what old Chris Paul, like the first two months have been a preview of what old Chris Paul will look like. And like, it's a, it's tough. I mean, I, you basically, I guess the team that's trading for him is going to have to want to sell tickets. Like, I could actually see it making sense for Phoenix to, to, to trade for him and try to bring in a stabilizing veteran to help kind of help grow everybody out there. I think that would make sense. I mean, it's Chris amazing Paul though. might like, kill DeAndre Ayton within the first two months, but like, well, Phoenix would be better for that if that if that happened. But uh, I'm just kidding. If you go down the <laughs> list, though, like Denver Nuggets, they don't need Chris Paul. Golden State does not need Chris Paul. OKC doesn't need him. Clippers don't need him. Grizzlies don't need him. Mavericks don't need him. Kings don't need him. Blazers don't need him. Yeah. Pel- Pelicans. Uh, Pelicans I homecoming mean, would be kind of great. I don't that- understand. Like, they already have so much money committed to so many bad players. I don't know if that would really work, but yeah, that that would get really dicey. The Spurs, like <laughs> that, would be a, an interesting one. Like age gracefully in San Antonio with Pop. Um, you know, Utah is probably not looking to go that direction. Ooh, Minnesota, I kind of like that idea though. Yeah, I mean, it is really tricky to trade guys who make this much money. I mean, that's a big part of the issue, which is why it was so smart for the Clippers to get out of Blake. Even though Blake's been phenomenal this year, uh, I think that they do that trade again, 10 times out of 10, no no doubt about it. Yeah. So that was just the teams from the Western Conference. I mean, I guess we could look over at the East, but I even think some of these bad teams, Atlanta, they're fine without them. Cleveland's probably okay without them. Just go for it with the youth movement. What about the Knicks? Would there could there be a Chris Paul Knicks takeover? <laughs> I don't think so. I, here's the thing: I think whoever is running the Knicks right now, it's Perry, right? The guy from Sacramento. Correct. Okay, so I I think Perry and his team, they're actually smart. And oh, really? Well, no, I, they seem to they seem to know what they're doing. Okay, it's it's are they I, are they smart or restrained? Like, yeah, because there's there's a difference, right? Like you could just be the guy at the poker table who never bets, <laughs> and like people will think you're smart, but you're not actually going anywhere. Is that you what's know happening? What? So I had this same thought when you're talking about James Harden in the playoffs. Okay, not terrible does not necessarily mean good, and I suppose that could be true for playoff Harden and the Knicks front office. Um, but here's the thing. I think that the only way they do something crazy will be if they're doing it to appease Kevin Durant. And absent that, that they are going to try and sort of stay the course 
and see what happens over the next year or two and, and see what they can kind of look. They could turn around and trade for John Wall in a month. And I don't think anybody would be that surprised. Um, but I, you know, I, if I was Daryl, you know who I'd call who Michael Jordan. I'd be pitching him on the North Carolina return for Chris Paul. Hey, look, like you guys, you need that foundational piece. Kemba might leave. Why don't you just trade Kemba to somebody else? Let them pay him. You've got Chris Paul locked up, franchise player, sell some tickets, sell some jerseys. It's a great idea. That's what I would be doing. I'd also just call Mike so we could talk hoops and and laugh about him (laughs) smacking Malik Monk in the head. But that would be one of my first calls, honestly, if I was the Rockets trying to unload him. Yeah. Salute to Michael Jordan, by the way. It's good to to know that he is still a psychopath just hanging out there on the Charlotte sidelines, um, smacking Malik Monk. If any other owner did that, by the way, that was my thought on that highlight. It's like, the shit show that we would be dealing with if some other random NBA owner did it, uh, like just, oh, I mean, the, just imagine the politics if, of it. <laughs> yeah, imagine if Lakeup like hit Iguodala. It, it would be, be a nightmare. But yeah. Jordan does it, and we're just like, oh, that lovable drunk psychopath. It's awesome. Um, you or know at least that, I, that was my thought, anyways. I don't know. I'm a little disappointed that Stan Van didn't keep his job because I bet Stan Van could have been talked into reuniting Chris Paul and Blake Griffin in Detroit, don't you think? Like trade out Root Canal, Reggie, a couple other salaries to make it work and and bring the band back together. (laughs) Man, it's tough. And that's one of the other things I don't like about the... By the way, sorry. (laughs) Um, My brain's all over the place right now. We don't talk enough about the Pistons. And I apologize for that. We don't talk enough about the Pistons. And Lewis wrote us an email. We do not talk enough about the Pacers. Um, the Pacers are just really boring. And I, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't do much better than that. I just don't have a lot to say about the Pacers. Their defense is great. They're 18 and 10. I don't buy any of it. It is what it is. The Pistons, I would really like this Pistons team if Reggie Jackson didn't exist. But Reggie is such a tough ask and such a tough watch that I just can't I can't buy in on any of it. And I feel bad about it. I feel legitimately guilty about both of those things. No, I mean, don't feel bad about it. They're 500. If they're in the West, they're, you know, the third worst team or something like that. I mean, I, well, I you don't Blake owe them anything. Pretty great, though. Yeah, I mean, to what end, I guess, is my question, you know? Like, he has been great individually, but is it translating? Is his style still working? I know he's added a lot to his game, but... Like, they just seem like they've sort of been where they were before Blake, and it was kind of the same deal with the Clippers, where they didn't play much differently with or without Blake. So you have these huge popcorn box score stats, but, like, you know, where's the impact, I guess, yeah. uh, is a question I have. In terms of the Pacers, though, I do think I should issue a slight mea culpa on them because I was convinced that if Oladipo missed any time for them this year that they would just fall apart and basically, like, the rest of their talent – Dude, wasn't it's as been good. Really impressive. Boyan Bogdanovich has been awesome for them all year. Exactly, and then they're six and one. I think without uh, Oladipo, some crazy number like that. They've stacked together a bunch of wins while he was out injured. Complete opposite of last year. And yep. then Demonis Sabonis is shooting like sixty three percent from the field. Like some just re- absurd number. Every single night he gets like sixteen and ten in like fifteen minutes. I mean, Sabonis he's just super is duper really good. Is is it possible? I mean, he is. He's playing like fifteen or twenty minutes a game. He could potentially be an all-star this year, right? If, like, one or two guys get hurt. I mean, he's kind of in the conversation to me. 
That is such a depressing question. I know our emailers didn't send us in that depression question. <laughs> Somebody like you had to come up with that. that but is, he's uh, been really, really good, like shockingly so. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, they've just been solid all around. I think one thing that also we should mention about Indiana's success, like Kevin Pritchard, uh, former Blazers GM, now kind of Pacers president, and Chad Buchanan, who's like the new Pacers GM, those guys are like obsessed with culture. It's the Spurs idea of yeah. like, oh, we've got to put this like locker room together and get the right personalities. Like Kevin Pritchard actually wrote a book that was called Help the Helper, which, you know, that probably sounds like a book I would write, but it was just like, he's <laughs> on that like level. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Hey, come on. Um, you look at their locker room, though, no egos. I mean, to me, they, it reminds me a little bit of this year's Clippers, too, where like these guys just play hard and together every single night, very consistent effort. Uh, it, there's not a lot of ball stopping, ball hogging, crazy shooting, any of that stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, for, for the most part, they play, they, they pretty much maximize who they can possibly be. Now, I don't know if this makes them any sort of, uh, you know, a team that's going to make noise in the playoffs. You know, they beat Milwaukee the other night uh, pretty soundly, but it wasn't the kind of game that really makes you scared of them in any way. So I'm not trying to undercut all the positivity I just gave to them, but I do think that they're probably one of the best uh, under-discussed stories of the early season based on my expectations of them falling to pieces if they never if they didn't have Oladipo for any stretch and them actually doing the exact opposite. All right. Well, there you go. Some Pacers discussion. Um, I don't have much to add, but uh, I think that they're going to be a five seed or six seed that loses in the first round. But it is really impressive what they've done. Let's do a couple more here. Um, I had one question from Andrew who says, with the early success of Luka in the NBA and his abundance of skill at 19 years old, should the NBA start looking toward an academy model of development? I understand college basketball is firmly entrenched in America, but imagine people like Brandon Ingram or DeAndre Ayton spending five years developing skills at a professional level before getting to the league. How much better could basketball be? Um, do you have any thoughts there? Ayton's yeah, actually already, a pretty interesting example because he like uh, emigrated to America from the Bahamas and spent five years going through like the shadiest possible version of grassroots hoops which isn't great. And like, we got to come up with a better model than that. Um, but I don't know. And what do you think? And now he's got stone hands and he drops half the passes that get thrown to him. Yeah, I know it's, it's a great example. Uh, I think, uh, I've already told you, I want to have a USA basketball Academy. Andrew, I already laid out my grandmaster plan here, right? Where you're like picking out like the 10 best kids out of every high school class. You're moving them wherever it is, Colorado Springs or Vegas or wherever, uh, maybe so, the 10 or 20 best guys are going to play against each other. You're going to bring in uh, every year, going to sort of reassess and, and guys get to stay and other guys get invited in. And you're going to sort of build a national basketball academy that will put everybody else's to shame. So that's what I want. I've said this for years. Okay. Um, what age are you starting at, though? Because Luca, I, I don't know exactly when he turned pro, but most of those guys are are basically professionals by the time they're 15 years old and sometimes earlier. So how early do we start the Ben Golliver National Basketball Academy? I, I mean, I would say in an ideal world, it would be prenatal. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> if, it has to, if we have to wait till they can walk, uh, I would start Scouting it very, very early. Sounds. Sure, I'm with no, it. I would, 
I would say fourth grade, sixth grade. I mean, I would like this thing to have a yearly, you know, progression. Uh, and of course, I want to have the I want to have the very best tutors. I want all these guys. Do you understand how psychotic that sounds? <laughs> Whatever. And get on, get on my level. You're gonna like this idea in two years when you, you pretend to think you of it. You would have I'm to just, take, <laughs> you would have to take like 1,500 fourth graders to potentially get a group of 20 eventual NBA players. And you'd Look, have to start with a really wide net. Like, I don't want to, like, throw out some red scares, but are we sure China and Russia wouldn't do this, right? Like, we need to make sure that we've got this completely locked down for generations to come. We need to be the best in basketball, and sometimes that uh, requires, <laughs> you know, drastic actions. I just, I already go to Vegas and see these AAU tournaments that are pitting the best fourth grade teams against each other, That's right? That's true. There's already this infrastructure out there. I'm just saying have good people and good coaches with the players' best interests in mind. And also, by the way, education because this would be an academy andrew i want them speaking three languages i want them learning <laughs> financial skills i want them you know getting dual majors i want all of this stuff happening so that we can have the best and the brightest athletes also be the most well-rounded you know future potential stars i, I don't see why we can't do it um Okay. Other than it, it would cost a lot of money, but I'm really looking at Nike uh, and USA Basketball and the NBA to kind of get in on this. Like, I think it's really cool that the National Basketball Players Association and the NBA have been taking care of some of the retired players, right? Yeah. So now that that's our, like the pension and, and all the health benefits, like that's already in place. I think that's awesome. I think the next avenue should be the future NBA players, the guys that we're investing in, so that when DeAndre Ayton makes it to the NBA, he can really play and not just put up empty numbers. Okay, I'm with it to a degree. I don't know. I think that um, something that gets lost in this conversation is how many European players never make it and kind of flame out by the time they're 19 or 20 years old and then have no real education to fall back on after having specialized in sports throughout their adolescence. Well, you're and, talking about Darko when he goes back to the farm, and now he's just like on like twelve foot tall horses. And well, Darko, <laughs> Darko is the best possible version of that story, yes, because he still had a shitload of money to go, to fall back on. But but yeah, and and I think that um, that's a concern as well. And the other thing that's underplayed in all of this is how well American basketball is working right now, because America is producing Jaron Jackson Jr. To, for one, I mean, it's as skill. I mean, he's better than Luca. Um, but yeah, but also, even he didn't didn't Izzo bench him during the March Madness. Look at my basketball academy. Jared Jackson's not getting <laughs> benched during That's, the most important part of his development. I'm okay, with come you. On now. I'm with you. I just think that um, a lot of times people kind of forget how far america's basketball culture has come from where it was 20 years ago i think well, that's what i'm saying Andrew, guys don't are more get complacent. skilled now than they ever have been yeah no. maybe maybe i'm getting complacent and you are you are galaxy brain here ready to start scouting third graders and i need to get on board <laughs> No, I'm with you. I can hear you waving your flag over there. I actually like the patriotic <laughs> vibe from you. It's a little bit rare, but I enjoy that. Look, I'm with you 100%. America but... produced Steph Curry, LeBron James, Zion Williamson. I, we're doing okay, okay? Like, the system isn't completely broken, and we're not ruining Well, actually, college sports is probably ruining all kinds of people's lives. But um... Yeah, I, I should clarify you're right. We still own basketball and we should not be reorganizing our entire youth system based on like three months of Luka Doncic. <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah. Like. So that's fine. But I do think if we're really having a serious discussion about how can we make the most possible NBA ready players on and off the court, we can do better than the current system. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. 
I, I think that's true. And I still love the idea of one G League team being made up of 19-year-olds or 18-year-olds in the year before they can um, enter the draft. That was my friend Dan's idea. That's the way they should do it and let those guys all live together and develop like normal 18-year-olds but get paid for it. Um, that would be really yeah. cool. You know what I'm thinking of? Like, I have this mental vision. You know, like, the helicopter parents who are, like, always trying to get their kids in, like, the elite classes and the elite schools and, like, you know, getting them all ready for their, their application to go to, like, the private middle school and all that. Sure. I'm now picturing all these, like, you know, like LeBron, Scottie Pippen, Kenyon Martin, all these guys who have these kids who are, like, trying to become NBA players, all, like, becoming helicopter parents trying to angle their way in <laughs> and, like, call in favors to get them into the USA Youth Basketball Academy. And, you know, like, somebody's over there, I don't know, Krushetsky or whoever is just like, sorry, like, you know, Bronny the third. Bryce can come in, but Bronny can't, you know. <laughs> like, you're getting really, like, very, like, just dark. 20 years from now, who knows what kind of dystopia we'll be living in on and off the court. Um, but <laughs> on that note, let's keep it moving. Uh, Steve says, what's your opinion on the moon landing? Is Steph Curry's comment just as outrageous as Kyrie Irving believing the Earth is flat? I personally am skeptical of the moon landing after NASA said they accidentally recorded over the original footage and didn't have a backup. Yeah, sure, NASA. Who records over one of mankind's biggest accomplishments of all time? Wake up, sheeple. Um, decent take from Steve. What do you think? Are we sure that was Steve or is that a Kyrie burner? I mean, <laughs> I don't think this taping over thing, did that happen? Or are we just putting fake news out there, Andrew? This is what's dangerous, actually, because I'll read that. And yeah, I'm you'll read too anything. lazy to go Google and find out whether it's true. So I'm like, oh, that is, I, I, I believe the moon landing was real, okay? I think it's too hard to fake something like that and keep the story straight among thousands of people. Um I don't think that Curry's comment is nearly as outrageous as Kyrie be believing the Earth is flat. The, like, sort of um, truthering the moon landing is like a, a fun joke to tell at parties. It's like a fun thing to talk about amongst friends. Believing the Earth is flat is really setting us all back a couple thousand years, and I think that is more serious. So... It Kyrie's definitely worse here because Steph has already apologized. He's already accepted NASA's offer to get like a tour of their facility to like learn all about it. Yeah. And he, he has acknowledged that it's a joke, right? If the equivalent of NASA, like, I don't know, the Geological Society of America, whatever, had invited Kyrie to like a symposium to learn about the shape of the earth, Kyrie would go and then tell them they were all wrong, right? Because he had read something <laughs> or like seen a picture no, no, no. on Tumblr what or he like he'd, say, he'd gone down a YouTube wormhole, you know what I mean? He wouldn't even do that, which is part of what makes it so infuriating. And by the way, I've come full circle on Kyrie. Um, although, did you see Thank him goodness. Did you see him getting uh, MVP chance in, in DC on Wednesday night? Well, I knew there was at least one chant because I think you were there, right? I was you? Or was... <laughs> no, look, I, like I'm not even really ready to talk about. It. First of all, how about Kyrie the facilitator? You know what I mean? If only he could be the point guard the Celtics need on offense. Boston might really go somewhere. I would give Marcus Smart a lot of the credit for the facilitating. I mean, I saw Kyrie facilitate a, a pull-up three-pointer from 35 feet. That looked pretty amazing. I didn't, yeah, I didn't... that's my point, okay? He facilitated 38 points and a win. Um, but 
that Kyrie getting MVP chance on John Wall's home floor is like scarring in ways that I won't totally appreciate for another like 10 or 15 years but it is like the definitive victory in the Kyrie John Wall battle and um I'm not even yeah. ready to really process it yeah I think that was the funeral but uh um, going <laughs> back really to was. Was. Kyrie versus Steph I'm glad Steph apologized right like I've I've come on here and probably rubbed you and other people the wrong way when I've called on guys like Giannis to apologize for for various comments Steph more than anything else, gets it. Like He yeah. understands that there's millions of kids out there or at least hundreds of thousands of kids out there who are hanging on his word who are going to go tell their teachers, their third and fourth grade teachers, that the moon landing never happened because Steph Curry said it did it, right? Yeah. So kudos to him for cleaning it up. I will. My last thought on that whole topic, though, is I'm pretty sure a year or two ago you asked me my favorite conspiracy theory, and I think I said the moon landing was uh, faked as like my favorite conspiracy theory. It makes me very, very happy that some offhanded comment that we make in a podcast 65 minutes deep does not lead like every single news site. <laughs> and it, it, it made me feel a little bad for both Steph and, frankly, Kyrie. I mean, you mentioned going full circle on Kyrie. If Kyrie had apologized and this whole thing had just been blown up from some stupid comment he had made on a podcast, uh, which is where it originated, I would have a lot of sympathy for him. Yeah, uh, because that can happen. Um, you know, that being said, like I thought NASA, whoever their PR person is, you deserves a raise. Like they handled that situation brilliantly. They spun it forward. They stuck to the facts. They gave kids a great message about, you know, right and wrong, you know, and being a fact based, reality based person. So shout out NASA. Yeah. I, I mean, by the way, to circle back to Kyrie, the most obnoxious part of him and his whole his whole flat earth phase is that he would never actually argue that the earth is flat. He would just sort of respond to people by saying like, I don't know. Do you know? I'm just here asking questions. Like, I'm just asking questions. <laughs> that is just completely unnerving. Um, the Steph side of this, I don't know. My takeaway from all of it was just, it underscored how much I hate what the internet has become today because the cycle of takes was so predictable. And like the people grandstanding about the importance of truth and not questioning science in this day and age, like take it down a notch. Everybody can joke about the moon landing here and there. It's not my, a huge my deal. favorite take, uh, by the way, was people suggesting that he had done it as a way to sort of. Uh, promote nasa no no to get the hype going for his under armor signature sneakers which also came <laughs> out this week it's like look guys you're gonna have to do better than that if you're gonna try to sell some under armors in 2018 come on now yeah uh, even I, I don't know he'll have to crank up the truth ring um but all right yeah, you're gonna need like q to help you sell under armors. <laughs> <laughs> you know what i do feel bad for steph because his shoes like, they're kind of cool looking. They're whack, Andrew. Yeah, Come on. I don't know. Um, Michael says, is it time to call pest control? I'm concerned for your inbox after Warriors Raptors the other night. There's about to be a termite infestation of 
Amazonian proportions. Um, <laughs> thank Great you, Michael. Email. It was so true, Michael. How, I mean, no, 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 no. Talk about a contrast, Andrew, between when they lost to the Bucks versus when they beat the Warriors. I mean, how many emails did we get from Canada? Canada got its internet connection back well, after wait the a second. Warriors game. We didn't get that many emails from Angry Raptors fans. I think we've weeded out most of the Toronto zealots and now only podcast to reasonable Raptors fans. I don't know, man. I got a lot of emails. I don't know if they're sending them straight to me or <laughs> maybe they just, maybe they, uh, you already like put them on mute in your inbox or something like that. But we got a lot of them. I, I want to say something serious about the Raptors because I got a chance to see them play the Clippers and they just beat the brakes off the Clippers. I mean, just worked them uh, yeah. in LA. And then they had a really solid victory uh, in Golden State as well. Being in their locker room, they have a great vibe, right? Like, I think the national perception is Kawhi's a weirdo, Kyle's moody, and, like, that's who they are, right? Yep. These guys were laughing, joking, cracking on each other. They were really, really, really happy with how they had played in L.A., but also just happy to be around each other. It wasn't like the old, oh, 12 guys, 12 cabs routine where everybody's trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. I'm not sure I saw a single pair of headphones uh, I mean, these guys were, you know, engaging in jokes. <laughs> Look, this kind of stuff matters, man. This it is really how does. you win over Ben Golliver. Absolutely. No, no, I'm not being won over, America's but I, I do want to make... sports writer. Look, come on now. <laughs> I, I, I want to make one comparison, though. Do you remember senior year in high school uh-huh. where, you, like, you get there the first week and, like, it starts to sink in that you're not juniors anymore and like this is your school and you don't really like answer to anybody and it's like you have that huge just like flush of confidence of like wow we run this place let's go find some freshmen to like mess with like you know what i'm talking about like that (laughs) that mentality like everyone's gone through that in senior year right i really wish we were podcasting in high school together yeah (laughs) it would have been putting you inside some trash cans but uh (laughs) no i i bring this up because that is how they act because lebron's gone right like these guys are so flush of, of confidence because they're looking at this Eastern Conference and they're thinking like the only people that really worked us at any point <laughs> yeah. in the last five years is LeBron. And now they're like the seniors. I and can't like, that's, get there th- with you. I think that's what they have always been like, right? I, I've i seen these guys in, in recent years. I've never seen them have this same vibe. I okay. really haven't. And I think part of it is some of these guys are new. I mean, yeah. Pascal hasn't been around, and Pascal was real vocal. coming into his own. Danny yeah. Green is one of the best dudes in the NBA. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And also, Ibaka is back from the dead. I mean, that is, of all the most, like, the Derrick Rose stuff has gotten a lot of attention. Like, how is he playing so well? How is Ibaka playing so well? He was terrible in last year's playoffs, and now he's been really, really good. I saw people trying to give him some all-star buzz the last couple of days. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to go that far, but he has been really solid for them. Uh, I'm just telling you, there's a different vibe around these guys I think that they had some false confidence maybe in years past. And then like all of a sudden they get to the playoffs and it's like, whoa, reality hits really hard once they run into like the LeBron James brick wall. Yeah. But I think that they're looking at it like we run the Eastern Conference. We're not scared of Boston. We're not scared of Milwaukee. We're not scared of Philly or whoever else. And to me, that makes them dangerous, you know, and I, I say that completely, uh, honestly, I'm not trying to like, you know, gas them up or anything like that. Like they have a really nice vibe to them. And uh, it did bring back memories of, you know, Beaverton High School class of 2001. That's awesome. Um, I'm more certain than ever that the Celtics are going to win the East. But um, I am, it, this week was impressive from the Raptors. Um, moving on, the last... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
came off like such an asshole there. That was, that was like, I was jealous of your dismissiveness there. That was impressive, but uh, I'm glad. I'm glad we can build the Raptors up to just rip them down in May. That's our job. I right? can't get there. This was a great regular season week there. I And you know what? I do like all those guys, and I think you were hard on Kyle Lowry on the last episode. I like the whole team. I'm just not totally sold. Um, I was thinking about it this, this morning. You know, if you went back to 2014 and put an M- MVP-level guy on that Hawks team, like, do you think that would necessarily transform them into title contenders? Because I think the easy answer is to say absolutely it would. But, like, when you really tease it out, Guys like Corver, guys like Millsap, guys like Horford would still struggle against elite teams in the playoffs. And, like, you're asking a lot of the number one guy in that scenario. Uh, it's a really tricky question because their whole season just fell apart with yeah. injuries in the playoffs. And they didn't really give, like, LeBron anything close to their best shot. And, by the I way, think- that's another team that was really fun to be around. And it's it's unfair to turn them into a punchline retroactively. But, like continue sorry i just had to add that because i feel bad no you were incredibly dismissive so now you immediately compared the raptors to the team that you love to dismiss more than any other team (laughs) so you're just you're just one to i mean look i was trying to be nice to the canadians i hope they see what you're doing here derailing this conversation but do you see what i'm saying they've been frauds for years i told you they weren't on the map last week i'm just telling you that the eastern conference is not very impressive and these guys are full of self-confidence it seems genuine and they've actually done a few things here over the last couple of weeks to justify it. That's all I'm saying. Okay, awesome. Um, well, final question. Abdul says, hey, guys, after listening to Ben's assessment of Kyle Lowry, which, again, was a little too harsh for my taste. Why? What was <laughs> what was so harsh about it? Because I, to me, I don't think that his problem is thinking he's better than he is. I think he thinks of himself as the franchise player, which he has been, and he's been a, a cornerstone up there. And, uh, and so I don't blame him for um, carrying himself on, on those terms. But it did inspire this question from Abdul, which is, what would be the NBA first team uh, thinks he's better than he actually is? Would Zach Levine start at shooting guard? Lance Stevenson at the three? Please let us know. Um, do you have any nominations here? Is you Kyle Lowry awful, your starter? You could put an awful lot of Bulls players on this. You know, I mean... <laughs> Jabari Parker, That's Zach Levine. <laughs> you could go right down the list with them. I would uh, nominate a guy. Just, it might just, might be, just the be the Bulls. <laughs> okay, it's the Bulls. Um, I also think Dion Waiters deserves to be in this conversation. Have we mentioned his name once? I mean, obviously he's been injured. We haven't talked about him in like 12 months. And when that guy got his deal, he was so mad that he wasn't in like a top 100 or top 50 on the various lists. You know, he's comparing himself like, oh, you know, you know, I'm like Kobe Wade or whatever the nickname he gave himself in college. Yeah. Uh, I think he is a Hall of Fame entry into a guy who is not as good as he thinks. He is. Yeah. I mean, Waiters is almost too easy, though, um, because he's also I think Waiters is is decent, I, like healthy Waiters that last no, year. In Miami, no, you know? come on. I'll always <laughs> have a soft spot for him. I did. Uh, I wrote Devin out, Booker's on this list. I'll no tell you that. way. No, I wrote yep. out five names. Okay. Number one, starting at the one, D'Angelo Russell. Starting at the two, Zach Levine. At the three, Mario Hazonia. 
by the way, these are three players. Those are three players that I've loved over the last three or four years. Um, and then up front, I had two twin towers with JaVale McGee and Hassan Whiteside. And I think that that is the worst possible starting five of the last like 40 years. That is a devastating lineup of guys <laughs> who I just cannot stand to play. By guys, the way, guys who will make you hate basketball. Yeah, I mean Miami when they came to LA to play the Lakers, Whiteside like wasn't there. Uh huh. You never would have known he was even supposed to be there. Like with their the way they run their like lineups and their rotations, they're like they're completely fine without him. They do not miss him in the slightest. And Dude. it's just an awkward sensation knowing how much money he's making and how good he thinks he is to know that guys like Bam and Kelly Olynyk should be taking all of his minutes and he should never get any. Yeah, we don't talk about it very often, but one of my most passionate uh, beliefs, founding principles of NBA fandom this year is um, desperately wanting Miami to punt Hassan Whiteside into outer space and just give Bam Adebayo like 35 minutes a game because that dude is so fun to watch whenever Whiteside is out or pouting or whatever and he actually gets minutes out there and um and look like no I was about to say no shots at Whiteside there have been some shots at Whiteside over the last 30 seconds but Bam Adebayo this is more pro Bam than than anti-Whiteside he's awesome you're like we're gonna punt him to the moon landing but no shots (laughs) yeah I think Booker needs to be on this list. No, he, I mean, he doesn't. Booker, Devin Booker is good. And honestly, I'm more upset with Robert Sarver for fucking with Devin Booker than for threatening to move the Suns to Seattle. Uh, like, the basically, because of my argument with you, Sarver is tipping the scales and uh, and making it harder for me to win the Devin Booker argument. And it's infuriating. Uh, you're never going to win that argument. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I felt like your names were good. I mean, I, I dislike all of those players, so I think you're on the right track in terms of the types of guys who fall into this category. Yeah. Well, the correct answer was the Chicago Bulls. I think, and and Jim Boylan as the uh, honorary head coach of our thinks he's better than he is All Stars because you know Jim Boylan somehow manages to bring up Greg Popovich in every press conference he gives, and nobody in the press corps out there has had the gall to just be like, dude, you are not Popovich. Stop bringing him up as if you were peers. But no, that's uh, like, if you started at SI in your first week, like Matt Dollinger, the editor comes back and is like, Andrew, you got to run on sentence. And you're like, well, look, William Faulkner had long sentences. What do you <laughs> yeah, want? <laughs> like, come on, man. Uh, but I, I will say the, I'm loving every single bulls update. I see. I hope they continue all year long, KCJ Hoop, Casey Johnson is my favorite Twitter account to follow, and Malika Andrews, everyone in Chicago right now, because the, the Bulls Leadership Committee uh, was officially formed tonight, uh, on Thursday night. Zach Levine, Robin Lopez, Justin Holiday, Bobby Portis, and Lowry Marketing. Student, <laughs> student council, right? Yeah, I mean, is it... That's half the team. <laughs> it's a, quite a committee, um, but I can't wait to see where it leads. But Ben... Uh, we've already gone too long, so I know what that reminds me of though. It's like, it probably Levine wanted to start the committee and everybody else was like, look, 
we're gonna have to put things to votes, so we have to have enough seats so that <laughs> it can't like, just be you. <laughs> like Zach, like wins these votes, right? So like, let's get like seven guys. I mean, it's basically like the whole Supreme Court principle that yeah, uh, totally. You know, the conservatives have been trying to to um, you know get the the deep bench of also, all their candidates. Let's not forget Bobby Portis straight up attacked a teammate last year and is now on the Bulls leadership committee. He's the stabilizing veteran that they look to here. You know, gavel, gavel, gavel. We now bring this uh, this meeting to order of the leadership committee. Guys, uh, you know, Bobby, it's your turn to take the floor. I was just wondering if we could reach a consensus on if it's cool to punch each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool to support. Let's put uh, Archidonaco, what I can't say his name. Let's put him in the hospital this week. <laughs> All right. On that note, it is definitely time to cut it short. Um, ben, I will talk to you next week. I can't wait, Andrew. We got a lot of uh, things we need to get through here, though. Real quick, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. We're accepting all emails, even the happy Canadians who are so excited about their team again. Uh, We love hearing from you. Don't forget also, Open Floor on Apple Podcasts. Search for us with those two words, Open Floor. Find our page. Uh, It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy. Andrew, it's the holidays. I don't know about you. The only thing that I want for the holidays, besides an Instagram follow at Ben.Golliver, is a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because that helps us spread the open floor gospel all across the world. And Andrew, you know, we're also on the world famous radio.com slash it's all about open radio.com slash open radio floor. radio.com slash open floor. Check us out there as well. And Andrew, until next week, I will talk to you. All right, man. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.